Hey, good morning, Harbor Covenant. It is so good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Jonathan Montahano. I am the Director of Student Ministries here on staff. And if I have not had the chance of meeting you, I am, I'm really grateful that you're here joining us online today. Uh, so I will never forget my first church event experience, right? Because a little bit of backstory about me, um, I wasn't really raised in a church going home. I went to this private Catholic school and I vividly remember when I was in sixth grade uh, that I had decided that religion was fake and wasn't real, um, and it was just something that old people believed in. And that was my only understanding of faith. And so I kind of just wrote off anything Jesus-related, anything God-related, anything that had the word Christian. I was kind of like, ah, like that's not, that's not for me. And so fast forward a couple years, I'm now a sophomore in high school, and I just transferred over to a new school. Uh, I had no friends uh, I didn't know anybody, I was pretty lonely, and it took me a couple months, but I was finally able to make some friends. And some friends invited me, they're like, hey, Jonathan, like, you should come out, this, come check out this thing called House. And I was like, what's House? And all they told me was, oh, it's a group of high schoolers who hang out Wednesday nights. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, that sounds great, like, I'll try it out, like, I need friends, I'm down. And then I did the normal thing that anybody does when they get invited to a church event um, is that they then don't show up for the next three weeks. So they kept asking. I kept saying, yeah, I'll be there. And then I wouldn't come. Um, but finally, I decided to check it out. And I show up. Um, and I first thought was, oh, man, this is, it's a little weird that a group of high schoolers are going to meet on a church campus. You know, but I'm like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody knows of PCC. Like, this could be normal. I get there, I see my friends, they're hanging out, so I go up and chat with them, and I look around, and I'm like, you know, it's, it's really weird that there's adults here. Like, I get it, if you want to hang out on Wednesday night with a bunch of high schoolers, like, to each their own, but like, don't, don't talk to me. Like, I don't want to be friends with an adult right now. Like, I came to hang out with high schoolers, I don't, I don't know why you're here. Um, so then we go inside, and we do some things, and next thing I know, somebody stands up, and they start praying. And I was like, what is happening at this event. Like, where am I? Like, what is going on? And if that didn't make it weird enough for me, then somebody else comes up and they start singing. And at that moment, it dawned on me. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm at a youth group. Like, I didn't, I've never been to one of these. I've heard rumors about youth groups, but I've never actually shown up to one. I've never been invited to one. And here I am. And I'm like, I don't believe in any of this stuff. And I thought about it. And I was like, oh, my friends just tricked me. Like they full on tricked me into coming to church and coming into youth group. And so this is how I now encourage other people who are trying to figure out how do I invite my friends to church? I don't know how to get them. They don't want to come. Don't tell them it's church. Just say, hey, you should come have brunch with me and my family. We're going to go to this campus. There'll be food, free coffee. Somebody might share a couple words of wisdom. And then we're going to just like hang out. And next thing you know, they're going to be working at a church. Uh, that's how evangelism and discipleship works. It's a perfect system, um, but that is what happened to me. I got tricked into my first ever church event, and it just blew me away. Um, but I kept coming back because I wanted some friends, and I saw friends from my high school here at this youth group. And so came back. Um, by the time I was 18 is when I finally had this really powerful momentum experience with Jesus, uh, where he really got hold of my heart. And I remember thinking to myself, all right, Jesus, like it's not my live my life to live anymore it's yours um, but i was 18 and i had no idea 
how to live a life for Jesus. I had no idea what a faithful life looked like. So um, I had to boil it down to three simple things for me to do. Uh, the first one is I had to stop swearing. Um, I had a horrible sailor's mouth when I was in high school. So I was like, I'm going to not swear as much anymore. Uh, the second thing is I was like, I have to stop like drinking and partying with my friends because uh, it's illegal and I shouldn't be doing that. That's probably not what Jesus would do. So I was like, I'm going to stop doing that. And the third one was I'm, I'm going to check out church on Sunday. I've actually never been to this church's service on Sundays. I don't know what it's like, but I know other Christians do that. So maybe I should go check out church on Sunday. And that was, to me, the three things that I could boil down to. Hey, what does a faithful life of following Jesus look like? And then the years go on and the time goes on and I, I get some mentors in my life and I'm starting to go through to some discipleship classes and now all these other things are coming into my life of, of things I should be doing as a follower of Jesus. Uh, people start talking about like, hey, you should know about tithing and you should be giving resources. And then someone's like, hey, you should know about service projects and volunteering in ministries and you should be praying and you should be reading your Bible every morning and you should be doing all these things. And next thing I know, my faith had become this compilation of Christian habits that I was doing, and my faith became really confusing and overwhelming. And I think this happens for a lot of us today. That faith starts off as something simple, and then these other things start getting added to it, and next thing we know, the life and the simplicity of the gospel has been overwhelmed and overcome by these Christian habits that we feel like we need to do. And I think if we took a moment and we pause, we would see that this idea of acts and legalism can very easily slip into our church and our worship and our way of living. And so for the next couple of weeks, uh, we're starting this new series called In All Honesty, and we're going to be looking at this question. In all honesty, how real is my faith? And we're going to be doing that through this book of Galatians and really unpacking what Paul is talking about, who he's talking to, because we want to make sure at the core of who we are as Harbor Covenant that we are doing everything based on the real gospel and on a real faith in a real God, Jesus Christ. So if you're with me, if you could open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. If you have your phone on you, open your phone. Uh, use the Bible reading app. Um, but while you're kind of getting there, I just want to share a little bit of context into this book of Galatians. And so the book of Galatians is a letter. It's written by Paul to the church in Galatia. And it's pretty well known or well accepted to be Paul's first letter that he wrote at least out of the ones that we still have in record today. Out of the letters that we have in the New Testament, this is probably the first one that Paul wrote after his missionary journeys. And what Paul is going to be writing to is his church in Galatia is going to be made up of primarily two groups of people. They're one church, but they're two groups of people. There are those who are part of the Jewish tradition, who were raised um, following the Mosaic law, who had all these rituals and traditions. And then there are going to be people who are considered the Gentiles, people who were not a part of Israel. They were not a part of this old covenant. They didn't know who Moses was. They didn't have this law that they followed. They kind of just did whatever they want, when they want. And they are going to have to learn how do we do faith together when our backgrounds are so diametrically opposed. Like they're just so different in every possible way. How then do we come and worship and serve this same one and faithful God? Right, and so as Paul's diving into that, we're going to see some things come up. This idea of legalism and Judaism is going to be pretty relevant within this book, and I think it's actually going to be very relevant for who we are today at Harbor Covenant. But um, if you have your Bible, and if you're open to Galatians chapter 1, Paul starts off by saying this. He says, Paul, an apostle, 
sent from men, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and, for, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is a really typical and normal way for Paul or anybody really in the first century Rome world to start a letter. Uh, they don't start in the way that we do of being like, hey, dear Galatians. Um, instead, Paul's going to start by addressing himself. He's like, hey, I am Paul. I'm the author of this letter. He's going to give his occupation. He says, hey, I'm an apostle. And then he's going to share the authority on which he is writing from. And he's like, I'm not an apostle sent by man nor from a man. I'm an apostle sent by God. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that is going to be the kind of the foundation of Paul. He's going to share, hey, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is who I do it by. And then he's going to address the Galatians. And then he gives this really brief but pivotal summary of the gospel, of this good news that we as followers talk about today, where he says, um, by our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present age according to the will of God. Right, so Paul's making it very clear, hey, we follow Jesus, and Jesus is the man who lived, and he died, and he died for two reasons. One, to forgive us of our sins, and two, to rescue us from this present evil age, not by his own will, not out of rebellion, but because God the Father wanted him to. Because God the Father willed it that we would have a second chance through Jesus Christ. And this idea is going to be fundamental as we continue to look, because Paul is going to be talking to the Galatians, he shares this intro, and then he immediately like, and very dramatically changes his tone and shifts very quickly. See this in chapter, or in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some of you are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying like, hey, it's me, it's Paul, I'm an apostle, grace and peace to you, Galatians. Also, what the heck, how did you guys so quickly fall away from the true gospel? And this word astonished in Greek isn't just like, oh, whoa, I'm like shocked. It's like shocked and angry. Like Paul is upset with the Galatians for how quickly they have turned away from the gospel. And so we need to ask ourselves, okay, what's happening in the church in Galatia that caused them to turn away from the gospel? Like, what is going on that is making Paul so angry or so frustrated with the Galatian church? And it comes down to this idea of legalism and Judaism. See, because again, there's these two groups, Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, and they did it for a while, and it was great, but then some questions probably started to arise, or tension started to rise, and what happened is those who were from the Jewish tradition kind of went back to what was comfortable. They went back to what they knew, and so they started imposing this Jewish tradition upon the Gentiles, saying, hey, you start after following our Mosaic laws, uh, you got to follow our covenant, uh, you probably need to be circumcised, you need to follow all these Sabbath laws and rules, and by doing so, then you will enter into a relationship with Jesus, and then you will enter into forgiveness from God. And Paul is trying to be very quick and blunt and saying, hey, that is not the gospel that we serve. Our gospel is not built anymore upon trying to do and works and acts through the Jewish tradition into gaining you salvation and a relationship with God. He's like, I already shared the gospel. It boils down that Jesus came and he lived and he died to rescue us from our sins and rescue us from this present and evil age by the will of the Father. That is the whole gospel. That is the reality of it. And yet this group of Judaizers 
were trying to convince people that they needed to do all these extra things in order to reach salvation, in order to reach a relationship with the Father. And I think we hear this a lot uh, within the New Testament writings, and we think, oh man, you Israelites, you did it again. Like, you had something great, and you kind of messed it up. And I think we need to be very clear and honest with ourselves. This happens in the American and Western churches all the time. That we start off with this great and we simple gospel, and yet somehow it starts to twist and morph into, hey, you need to do these things, you need to believe these things, you need to act this way for you to be forgiven of your sins. And maybe there are some of you who are watching right now where uh, maybe you don't think Christianity is for you because it feels like this. It's this list of do's and don'ts, these things that you have to either give up or new things that you have to do just to be forgiven. And the reality is that that isn't the gospel that we teach. And that's not the gospel that Paul was teaching. Like I have seen churches where um, people weren't allowed to have communion until they became members of the church. That they had to do something to then partake in the body of Christ. Or there have been churches where they have said, hey, if you don't speak in tongues, then you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit, which means you're not saved. So we only know you're saved if you can speak in tongues. And they're adding this other thing. Or we start to look at, hey, you have to start having this certain amount of church attendance to be saved. Or you need to start going uh, and serving this way. You need to be giving this much. You need to believe these certain doctrines. You need to do X, Y, and Z to have a faith in Jesus. You have to vote this way politically. You have to have these views on these topics. And the more we boil it down and the more we look at it, there are all these different forces and influences trying to distort and pervert the gospel of Jesus, who made it very clear that through Jesus alone that we get forgiveness of our sins. It's not about the works that we do. It's not about the things that we believe. It's not about the way that we act. It's about the fact that in our lowest moment, Jesus hung on the cross so that we could be forgiven. That is what leads us into a life of faithfulness. I remember having this conversation with somebody um, a couple of years ago, and we were, we were just talking, and he made the comment of, I don't think the Holy Spirit's in, inside, like, a part of this family. And I knew who this family was, and they were very faithful people. They were great within the church. They served. They did all these amazing things. And I was like, ah, why, why do you think the Holy Spirit isn't with them? Why do you think they're not like, filled with the Holy Spirit? And they were like, ah, because um, I don't see the spirit or the fruit of joy in their life. And I'm like, you don't see the fruit of joy? And so I was like, what do you mean? And, and he kind of came to the conclusion that, hey, the fruit of joy should look this way in every believer everywhere. And I kind of pushed back on that. I was like, no, I think joy can look different from person to person or circumstance to circumstance. Like, it's not just a one-size-fits-all. And he started, started to question whether or not I need Jesus because I didn't agree with him on this idea on what the fruit of the Spirit joy should look like. And started wondering if I really was saved, if I was really a part of the body of Christ. And this is something that we see that we pervert the gospel into being something that it's not, a list of actions and habits that we need to do in order to experience the goodness of who God is. And Paul is again is being very clear that it is not the gospel that he taught. And so then Paul moves on, and in verse 8 he says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. We have, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And what's really crucial about this part or this, this verse 
is that it's not just that Paul was telling them, hey, this is what you should believe, this is what you should do, this is, this is the gospel that you should follow. This is a gospel that the people already accepted. They heard the good news. They agreed this is the way to know the Father. This is the way to know Jesus. This is the way to live faithful life. It's through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And Paul's saying we don't need another messenger. We don't need another divine revelation. We don't need another way of knowing if we're doing enough or doing the right things. Jesus is more than enough for all of us. We don't need an angel. And yet people often are asking for these supernatural experiences or supernatural messengers to try to confirm what they believe or what they say. And then Paul says this in verse 10. And am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I think this really gets to the heart of what Paul's talking about. Because again, he could be writing this to either one of the groups. So he could be saying to the people from the Jewish tradition, hey, I'm not here just to please you. I'm not here just to make your traditions a part of our faith. I'm not here just to make you feel good about the way that you used to live and these habits that you had formed. And now those are going to lead you into a life of faithfulness or a life of, of salvation, a life with Jesus. Paul is very clear. It's, it's Jesus alone. And then he's saying the same to the Gentiles. He's like, hey, the way you had lived and the sin and the idolatry and the different practices that you had prior to knowing Jesus, they don't have a place in the church anymore. That's not what's going to lead you into favor with God. So we as a church, when we look at our values, when we look at our services, when we look at everything that makes up Harbor Covenant, we have to ask, are we doing this solely for the sake that Jesus wants people to know him? Or are we doing this because we want people to act like us and look like us and talk like us and have the same habits that we do? Or do we want people to experience Jesus Christ who died for their sins, to forgive them, to rescue them from the present and evil age because the God of the Father willed it? Like if we look around our city, if we look around our friends, our schools, our works, there are people who, who are beaten down, who are broken, who have made horrible mistakes who are full of shame and full of tiredness, who are questioning everything and at their lowest moment. And that's when we get to step in and say, at your lowest moment, that's when Jesus died for you. That's the moment where Jesus was on the cross hanging for you because he wanted to give you a second chance. There's nothing you can do. There's no action you have, no belief that you could have had prior to this that would keep you away from the Father. And there's no actions that we need to do now. There's no works that we need to do to earn our salvation. Jesus paid that price in full for us already. We just have to believe and accept this gospel. And so here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to take away from today. Is I don't want you to confuse your faith in Jesus with faith in Christianity. Right? Our faith in Jesus is this unadulterated, beautiful relationship with a God who is willing to die for us so that we can know him and know the Father. Faith in Christianity is saying, hey, I have to do these works. I have to read my Bible this many times. I have to go to church this many times. I have to do all these things to then earn my forgiveness from God. And the reality is, no. Jesus has made it very clear on the cross, and Paul's making it very clear to the church in Galatia. is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the standard by which we have to judge everything, that we need to look at everything. And so I mean, we need to ask ourselves, and really take some time to ask ourselves, in all honesty, how real is my faith? Is it based upon what somebody on stage is telling me to believe? 
Is it based upon what my family believed and now I just believe it because my parents believed it? Is it based upon a list of do's and don'ts and trying to make sure I'm doing the right things and being a good person? Or is it based upon Jesus and the sacrifice that he made so that we can know God the Father? Jesus truly is the metric that we have, and so we have a responsibility to look and to act and to think like him. And so I have two challenges for you. The first is this. If you took some time and you really reflected on your faith, and you really asked the question, in all honesty, how real is my faith? And you came to the answer that it's not real. Like it's not based on just this real, unperverted gospel of Jesus Christ. My encouragement for you is to talk to someone within the church. Like we just finished the series going over our three, two, ones and encouraging you of having a mentor, somebody that could help walk you through your life and your faith and your questions. And you don't have to be a certain part on your journey to have a mentor to help you process through, hey, is my faith really genuinely focused on Jesus or is it really focused on my own actions? Or on the flip side, my challenge for you is, hey, if you can look at your faith and in all honesty say, hey, my faith is built on the real like unperverted Jesus Christ and his gospel. And then my question, my challenge for you is what can you do for the next generation to help protect them from a false gospel? What are you willing to do to help build up our next generation of believers who are coming into a world with countless more influences and people with words and technology and different beliefs that are going to try to push people away from the real gospel of Jesus Christ? And I can tell you this, I know that our kids and teens need you. They need your help. They need your wisdom. They need your faith in Jesus to help guide them into knowing their own faith in Jesus. Together, we can do this. Because imagine, like if our church, if Harbor Covenant really became a place where at the end of all of our services, where at the end of everything we did, we didn't ask ourselves, hey, did we do all the right things? Right? Did I do all the right Christian acts? But instead we started asking, hey, did I say yes to the things that Jesus would have said yes to? Did I say no to the things that he would have said no to? Did I think what he would have thought? Did I love the way that he would have loved somebody? And if we could say yes to those questions, if we could be that community, then I think this church could truly be a sanctuary and a safe haven for the broken people out in our world. And that is exactly what Jesus hoped the church would be. Like Jesus often said that he didn't come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. That the doctor, uh, the, sick, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And we can be that place. And all the things that are dividing churches right now with the differences on doctrines and political views and who's voting where and how are we responding to these situations, all those things that are causing division, they wouldn't affect us here. Because like Michael says, we would be keeping the main thing the main thing. We'd be focusing not on Christian acts, but we'd be focusing on Jesus Christ. And people wouldn't flock to us because they want it to be like this. They would come to the church because they knew they could experience the real gospel. So before we head out today, I have three questions that I want to ask you. And the first is this. When is there a time this week for you to ask and wrestle with the question, in all honesty, how real is my faith? And if you need to take a moment right now and look on your phone and literally put it in your calendar of like, I'm going to do it on this time. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to journal. I'm going to process. Do that now. Don't just say, hey, I'm going to do it on Tuesday. And then don't do it on Tuesday. Put it in your calendar. Make time for this. My second question is this. Are there any areas in your life where legalism has taken over the real gospel? 
other places where you just do things now out of habit or you do it for because it's the right thing to do and not because you're doing it because you love Jesus or because you want to do it for Jesus because, hey, I think I need to do this just to be able to be forgiven for my sins. And my last question is this. What is one thing you can do, do to help the next generation of believers avoid a false gospel? There's so many messages out there. What can you do to help avoid the false gospel? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.